Blog Talk Radio. This episode is brought to you by the Brain Injury Association of America. The BIAA's mission is to advance awareness, research, treatment, and education, and to improve the quality of life for all people affected by brain injury. They are dedicated to increasing access to quality health care and raising awareness and understanding of brain injury. You can learn more at BIAA.org. The opinions stated in this podcast are my own and not necessarily the opinions of the Brain Injury Association. Hello, everyone. I'm Amy Zellmer, and you are listening to the Faces of TBI podcast, a series created for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in the winter of 2014. I am also a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me, and you can learn more about upcoming podcasts at facesoftbi.com. Today, we are chatting with speech therapist Richard DuBose. Richard has 11 years of experience working directly with a primarily TBI population. Richard came about his calling to work with traumatic brain injury patients in a very personal way. During his junior year of college at the University of South Alabama, his father was in a car accident on the way to work and sustained a TBI. It is through this experience and his fascination with cognition and how the brain works that he became interested in treating adults and adolescents with TBI. First job out of college was working with the Brain Injury Program in Greenville, South Carolina, where he worked with patients in an inpatient and outpatient setting. He also spent a couple of years working in a skilled nursing facility, but found his way back into the rehabilitation setting in his current position at Admin Rehabilitation Hospital, which is in the Health South Network. He's presented on topics of cognition, behavior, and brain games, and served as a facilitator of the Anderson Asini Pickens Brain Injury Support Group. Helping those who've acquired brain injuries has become a family affair as Richard's wife of three years, a physical therapist, shares his passion of helping this particular patient population. HealthSouth is one of the nation's largest providers of post-acute healthcare services, offering both facility-based and home-based post-acute services in 34 states and Puerto Rico through its network of inpatient rehabilitation hospitals, home health, and hospice agencies. HealthSouth can be found online at healthsouth.com. So, Richard, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you for taking the time to um, talk with our listeners. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so Richard, what I would like for you to do is um, give our listeners, I know I just read your bio, but give our listeners a little bit more background um, about who you are and how you how you came to speech therapy. Sure. Um, I um, When I went off to college, I, I knew I kind of wanted to be in a field of some sort um, to, to help uh, people in some way. I, I did, wasn't quite sure. I, I pursued psychology a little bit and 
a few different avenues, and then I, I ended up um, taking some courses in speech-language pathology. And um, at one point, I, I thought I was um, headed towards um, working with kids with language disorders, and uh, stuttering interested me quite a bit. And um, as you mentioned, um, I was in my junior year of college, um, the week after my my sister had just gotten married, which was a big event for my dad being the only daughter he has, and uh, he was traveling to work in the morning just as normal, and um, he um, another car was um, on the wrong side of the road or just taking a, a, a corner a little too wide and, and ran him off the road and into a tree, and um, I got a phone call, and um, that dad had had a... a, a serious head injury and needed to come home and um and through that uh series of events um it's kind of shaped and molded me into to to working in the area of of brain injury uh fortunately my dad uh, you know if we talk about terms of mild moderate and severe we were very fortunate in the uh, in the event that dad's injury was um mild per se and I, I know I reading some of your um blog um mild is one of these words that when you say it it's the the experience for people is certainly not mild um and the things that we went through and things that that still go on to this day um he was able to get back to work and do a lot of the things um um that you would you would hope for coming through an injury like that but um behaviorally personality wise and that sort of thing was um um was and still is a different person um only that people with um um who've experienced brain injury brain injury can can kind of understand that cuz you you look at some folks and say well you know are they really that different they've always been a little bit this way and that way and um being in close family um you really get a better understanding of of what people are going through and um so I, I i ended up um getting a job in greenville south carolina i was just i was um really that interested in working in the brain injury program that they had up there and um spent uh 11 years there and um found my my um my wife, the physical therapist, we used to work together, and she's now the supervisor and manager there. So I tried to, um, uh, as we were getting closer to marriage, I needed to um, look for somewhere else to work because um, she was going to be my boss. <laughs> so, um, but um, that's, in a nutshell, that's how I ended up in working with brain injury. Yeah, wow, what a what a journey to get you there. But, you know, your your story is I'm I'm hearing more and more stories like this, how some a loved one went a loved one or themselves went through a traumatic brain injury and that really drew them into the calling of working with TBI patients. Um, you said something earlier and I, I wanna back up to it and kind of clarify a little bit, talking about mild, moderate and severe. Um, mm -hmm. And I want to really clarify that those are medical terms, and those yeah. terms refer to loss of consciousness and cognitive impairment at the time 
of the injury. Um, I know there's so much confusion around what those terms mean, um, and I'd kind of like to see those terms go away. Because, like in my case, a mild TBI refers to I was unconscious for less than 30 minutes. However, Mm -hmm. those terms have nothing to do with um, your symptoms and your recovery. Um, And so I just kind of wanted to reiterate that point because, there's just so much confusion around those, especially, you know, when a doctor's telling him you have a mild traumatic brain injury and the patient's going, but no, I don't, you know, I don't remember how to tie my shoes, you know, so it, they don't correlate with your symptoms. So I just kind of want to um, remind the listeners of that. No, because I Because you could appreciate. have a very mild TBI and, and have very severe symptoms, really, and vice versa. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. I appreciate that. No, and, and concur with with those those sentiments as well. And, and oftentimes, the case, the oftentimes the the milder per se, even outside of the medical context of how they use that word, the the milder injuries um, are oftentimes um, have more of an in some ways of an impact. Um, they're different. I mean, it's yeah. different and. Um, have a, a very significant impact on the individual because of the um, the cognitive abilities of self-awareness and the the ability to appreciate at, even at, even at a greater detail the differences the the loss the, the what's not working yes well or what's and um, um, that's a that's a really tough I would say. Um, a tough population that's that's underserved in our communities. Um. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, I just there's there's a lot of I wouldn't say it's misinformation out there, but the information's not presented well on on what those terms mean. Um, so I just that that's one of my missions is to really make people um, the layperson understand. And, and a concussion is a form of a mild traumatic brain injury. And, mm-hmm. you know, just really reiterating that to people who maybe have never um, um, experienced themselves or a loved one that have gone through this. And so just really raising that awareness um, for outsiders, so to speak. <laughs> mm, um, yeah. So, Richard, today I have you on the show talking about patient advocacy and you know you dealt with your father you know when he had his injury and I look back at at myself and I didn't have an advocate with me it was just me I'm single I live alone I have elderly parents and you know when I look back I thought that I was doing okay back then but I was really in such a bubble of fog and cognitive impairment that I didn't even know I should have an advocate with me. Um, I remember going to the neurologist and getting frustrated because she wasn't believing me about some of my symptoms, um, mm. whereas if I'd have had someone with me that could say, oh, no, this Amy's not normally like this. Amy's doing this and this and this. I don't think this is normal. You know, I think that would have changed my interaction with my doctors. Um and also the, the the fact that like I would I would have to write a list of my questions that I wanted to ask the doctor because otherwise I wouldn't remember to ask them and I would forget half of what they told me. You know, so even from that perspective of having an advocate with you. That you know, that's that is um 
such an important part of I think anyone that's that's had a, a acquired brain injury um, and their and their recovery is typically going to interact with the medical community either on a on a small level or have a lot of interaction with that and um, unfortunately your story is a lot like other people's stories and it's a lot like it's a lot like a lot of persons experiences with the medical community when you go in with a uh, say a, a you know what seems to be a a, a mild milder problem and I, I just mean milder in the sense of uh, I'm I don't need to be in the hospital today I'm not going to I'm not right. suffering some great right. illness and if it if it doesn't reach that threshold oftentimes it feels like it, it falls on deaf ears and then you have people that have had mm-hmm. um, brain injuries um, who understandably have difficulty organizing their thoughts. They don't remember things. They don't report symptoms as well or are not able to remember that. Um, they're not certainly not as able to to advocate. And, you know, that's a, that's a um, difficult thing to do when you're interacting with doctors and nurses and uh, deal with it on a, on a, on a daily basis here. Um, and it's, you've got different, um, parties. I, I work for a, an organization. I work for a hospital. All my coworkers are therapists and nurses and doctors. And I, yet I, I serve, a, uh, my patients as well. And I have to, you know, treat both of those groups with, with respect and advocate for both of those groups. And sometimes I find myself a little bit in the middle of that. Um, when I find it, you know, really important to, to step up and, and help a patient um, do like you were saying, write down what are my symptoms um, that are going on and, and, and to notify other people that these problems reach a threshold that we need to investigate a little bit more, you know, that whether, you know, during their recovery they're having symptoms of an infection or other kinds of things that are ongoing um, that certainly happen um, and that sometimes fall through the cracks. Yeah, and I recently spoke at a support group, and there was two new people. It was the first time visiting the group, and she had fallen off of a bike um, and hit her head on the cement. She didn't lose consciousness, um, and they thought she was okay. She got up. They biked back home, and the next day her boss was like, you're not okay, what's going on with you? And she told him, you know, she had fallen off her bike. And he's like, I'm taking you to the emergency room. Because he, he, he observed that she wasn't her normal self. Like she was saying weird things and her words weren't coming out right. Mm. So he took her to the emergency room and it was her fiancé that she had been with. And he was like, but she, she was fine. She got up and we rode back home, you know. And, and that's somewhat common for something like that to happen and for those symptoms to take 24 hours to onset. And so she had been going to the doctor and she was now like, I think six months out from her bike accident. Um, And she was still having trouble and he was really, really frustrated. So we were very happy that they both came to this group together. And he was really, really frustrated what was going on that she wasn't recovering quicker and all this. And we're like, and these two are probably in their mid twenties 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we encouraged him to go to her doctor's appointments because she would come home and he'd be like, what did you talk about? She's like, I, I don't know. Um, and so he wasn't getting any good information, and we encouraged him go to those doctor's appointments with her, like, and come keep coming to the support group together. Um, you know, like, I remember when I fell, and we think I probably lost consciousness for a few minutes, but we'll never know mm-hmm. because no one witnessed it except my dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> and right she's not talking um and so I there was a lot of people that were just like oh my god you just have a concussion no big deal like what why are you still complaining about this six months later and it was like I mean I'm just over two years out and I'm still dealing with some of the consequences and you know it's I think those loved ones who've never dealt with something before or maybe they had a mild concussion playing football in high school and it was you know, they recovered from it quickly. Um, and right. It's just, it's it's frustrating, and it's frustrating for the survivor, too, because they're legitimately dealing with these issues, and their loved one isn't supporting them because they don't believe them. And so I think, you know, that's where it's so critical for that, that caregiver or that supporter um, to go with the patient and and help advocate um in that way, does that make sense? It, it does. It does. It's a it's a complicated um, kind of thing that, as far as the the dynamics of relationships between family members, husbands, spou- you know, husbands and wives and spouses, yeah. and, and and what is really going on there um, when when these kind of events happen and things aren't the same and 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 what we how we cope with it and um it's not simply that you know a lot of spouses are in denial but i think how how we motivate ourselves sometimes is um how we try to motivate other people and it's not always what they need i think it's a mistake sometimes if you know if the way you motivate yourself is like well let's let's tough it out you know just just forget about it <laughs> right. and just go on with life um that doesn't really work a lot of times with um, brain injury or post-concussive syndrome and it, it, it at the first step I mean we, we need a realization of this is real this is a problem um, this is not just um, depression some just isolated you know it's not a moment of uh, oftentimes people will just feel like it's somebody's gotten lazy even um, my right. director where I, I used to work, um, he was real. He was a neuropsychologist and is a neuropsychologist and um, was, was pretty strict about how we used the word motivation and speaking about our patients and how we would, uh, if you know, um, being very careful as far as how, what we attribute, the, what we see and what we, how we attribute it. Do, you know, if I see the person not following through with their homework on something, is that because they're lazy or is it because they have trouble remembering um, or is it because they have difficulty understanding what's the importance of this worksheet you know for a lot of people it's like well this is school why don't <laughs> what does that have to do with my recovery which I totally get now um, um, just be just being very careful on how we try to assess someone's motivation or, or where they are and um, <clears throat> 
I think it's just important with everybody that, that we deal with and work with that um, we really hold out on some of those judgments of um, that this um, that knee-jerk judgment that often happens when you see someone yeah. that's not getting back up and getting you know able to engage in life, and we say, oh, okay, um, I've been wrong so many times with that, and um, uh, that I, I I try not to go there. Yeah, yeah. And I I do think, you know, if you've never experienced it, whether on your own or having a loved one, it is hard to understand what we're going through. And, you know, it is critical to not put pressure on that person. Like, come on, just, you know, deal with it, tough it out, tough it out. Um, I know I certainly couldn't tough it out back, you know, in the beginning. I'd say those first 10 months were just, so challenging for me, you know, that, that neuro fatigue, like I, I would sleep 12 hours at night and take a three hour nap every day. I mean, it's just, I had no energy to get anything yep. done and people just thought I was being lazy and it's like, no, you just, you really don't understand what I'm going through. So yes, yeah, not, that's not your brain. Yeah. Your brain, your brain was recovering. Yes. You know, you were, yes, re, you were recovering and yes. And it, it's the it's you know one of the most important restorative processes for the brain is sleep. And so, understandably, when yeah. people have brain injuries, they they sleep more. My dad did, and it just for us it was bizarre. It was like, why is dad sleeping in the middle of the day for three uh-huh. hours a day? And I didn't really understand it at the time. And yeah, you know, he and he he did go through a period of depression, but it wasn't just simply that. Um, it was you know, depression related to the brain injury and the reactions of what was going yes. on, the loss yeah. that was going on, and as well as, neuro, you know, the neurologically what had been affected. He didn't have the 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 energy. Um, and this is a guy who he used to run five miles a day and um, was yeah. extremely active. Um, that was tough to see. Um, and, and looking back on it in hindsight, I, I had some things kind of misunderstood at the time. Um, I was 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still, still trying. You didn't to know any better. <laughs> you know, no. you never dealt with it. <laughs> no. no. We had a psychologist right. that came in and had one consult, and that was it. And they said, you know, do this, don't do this, do, you know, don't argue, and don't, you know, don't try to reason with your dad. And the first thing I did was to try to <laughs> anything that came up, I tried to reason <laughs> with them. And my, my stepmother was like, Richard, it didn't work, did it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Oh, boy. You know, yeah, and thank you for making that point, that that, that, that fatigue is because your brain is trying to heal. It, it needs that rest in order to recover itself. Um, and I also want to address the issue with advocacy. If you feel like you're not getting heard or getting the help that you need from your current doctor, um, I remember when I was going to my neurologist, I was having a, I still have a lot of short-term memory problems, but I was having severe memory problems and word problems, not the aphasia, not being able to come up with the word or saying a completely wrong word would come out of my mouth. Um, And she was just like, oh, let's just give it some time. And when I look back, I know I should have gotten into some form of cognitive or speech therapy back then. Um, 
to try and expedite the healing um, and rewiring that brain. So, you know, again, I didn't have an advocate with me, um, and I didn't know enough to, to be a bigger voice and, and kind of demand more from my doctor. So, or, or even just finding a different doctor. I mean, I could have done that, and it just didn't even, like, occur to me that I should do that. Um, so how would you suggest people handle that if they feel that their doctor's not listening to them or that they think they need more than what their doctor's giving them? How, how do you suggest people um, and loved ones can help deal with that? That's a good, a good question and a tough issue. I, I I tend yeah. to recommend <laughs> that yeah that people try to before you know let's say making a um, a rash decision and, and usually it's not but sometimes we we just have a bad experience and with the with a doctor or doctor staff and it's then we want to immediately go change. Um, but if, if these things build up over time, like you're saying, and you're just not feeling like you're getting the services that you need, I, I, um, I think if, if we're speaking of just cognitive issues, you know, if you had the knowledge of, oh, do I request a, a, to have a neuropsychological evaluation? You know, most people, that's a mouthful to say, and most people have never heard of that. Um, you know, wh- where do I go for that? And that, um, that sort of thing, but those are things that are I think that are in, important um, for persons to 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 get some, um, especially with what like what you were going through or, or, or um, other persons to get an idea of where am I right now, and that's those are sometimes the the things that fill in the gaps of where a brain imaging study doesn't really give useful information about someone's function. Yeah. Oftentimes, a brain yeah, imaging absolutely. study for most most concussions are are are, are unremarkable. Um, yet people still exactly. have difficulty. Um, and I think everybody's different. Yeah. I don't know that everybody. Um, I had a, a close friend uh, uh, of my wife's who's a, a, an attorney in um, had a concussion. He had had several concussions um, when he played football and. Um, hard-working guy and works out every day and all this kind of stuff and had a concussion water skiing and had just a tremendous amount of difficulty about to recovering from that. Um, and it was a year-long, even greater, and I think there's st- still some residual difficulties that he has to this day. And um, I don't. The, the advice that was given at the time was rest, 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 and that's. There's a little mm-hmm. different. The advice now is a little different than that. We're, we're finding these things out that oh well maybe it's you know, not rest, 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 rest. It's a balance of things, which would be understandable. Um, but it wasn't until he started to get back into to exercise that he started to feel a little bit better. Um, I, he still has difficulties, but um, for him. Um, we spent a lot of time trying to to um, get him connected with uh, a, a doctor who was ex- experienced with concussion too. And I think finding those things out uh, is very difficult yeah. to do. Just going on the internet, you really can't um, 
find, you know, okay, who's the doctor do I go to for this? Who's the one that's going to mm-hmm. be the best fit for me? Uh, I think the, the support groups are a great place to start, too, because, you know, you, if you Absolutely. go to a, have a, a local mm-hmm. support group, you've got a dozen people there who've been through to bunches and bunches and bunches of doctors, and they can tell you, you know, uh, their experiences. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, unfiltered, yes. It's not, yeah. you know, so... Um, yeah, and, and you know, no two concussions are the same. No two brain injuries are the same. No two recoveries are the same. And so it, it is. It's very frustrating to the doctors, I'm sure, um, you know, as well as to the patient. So, yeah, it is. It's a, it's, it's a balance. Um, mm. And we are, we are just about out of time, Richard. Okay. We have just about a minute left here. Um, but thank you so much for being here. This is really great information, um, super useful to patients alike. So thank you so much for being here today and um, sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Um, I hope that you enjoyed the show. Be sure to visit facesofcbi.com to listen to previous podcasts and topics that we have lined up. And I, you can also be on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer and Faces of TBI on Facebook. Thank you all for listening and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.